0: For those of you who are guests or first time out here, I am Dr. Timothy O'Donnell. I am the president of Christendom College, and I would like to welcome you to this conference in which we're going to be examining the dignity of the human person. And we hope to touch on the life issues, starting, as you will see, there's a method to our madness with the beginning of life issues moving towards the end of life issues. We've gathered together today a group of wonderful speakers known for their insight and also for their fidelity to Catholic teaching. It's interesting to note that Cardinal Carol Wojtyla, before he was elected Sovereign Pontiff, posed a very important question. He said, we must ask why a century which began with such a strong belief in science and progress ended in such bloodshed and despair. Indeed, the 20th century was the bloodiest century in all of human history. It is our desire today to be of service to our Lord, to the church, to our beloved nation by examining this important field of biomedical ethics. On September 8, 2008, the Sacred Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith issued a very important document, Dignitas Personae, which we'll be making reference to. In that beautiful document, section 35, we find the following quote. In the context of the urgent need to mobilize consciences in favor of life, people in the field of healthcare need to be reminded that their responsibility today is greatly increased. Its deepest inspiration and strongest support lie in the intrinsic and undeniable ethical dimension of the healthcare profession, something already recognized by the ancient and still relevant Hippocratic Oath, which requires every doctor to commit himself to absolute respect for human life and its sacredness." End quote. Without further ado, I would like to introduce now Cardinal Francis Orenze, Prefect Emeritus of the Congregation of Divine Worship and Discipline of the Sacraments. He was born on November 1st. What a great day to be born on. I guess I can reveal the date, November 1932. Your Eminence, you wear it very well. He was born in the city of Enziuele, is that close? All right, in Nigeria. At the age of 15, he began his secondary studies at the All Hollows Seminary, studies which he concluded in 1950. For the following two years, he taught at the same seminary until 1953 when he took up philosophy studies at the Memorial Seminary at Enugu. In 1955, he began to take courses in theology at the Pontifical Urbanian University and only three years later, he was ordained to the priesthood in the chapel of that great college on the 23rd of November, 1958. From 1961 to 1962, he was a professor of liturgy and also taught logic and basic philosophy at Bigard Memorial Seminary in Enugu. In addition to that, he was a then appointed regional secretary for Catholic education for the eastern part of his country. He was transferred to London, and in London he took courses at the Institute of Pedagogy, earning a diploma there in 1964. On the 6th of July, 1965, he was appointed to the titular church of Fisiana and named coadjutor to the archbishop of Onitsha. On the 29th of August, 1965, he was consecrated bishop. Only two years after he was asked to take over the pastoral government of the archdiocese, and on the 26th of June in 1967, he was named archbishop. In 1979, his brother bishops elected him president of the Catholic Bishops' Conference of Nigeria, which post he filled until 1984, when Blessed John Paul II asked him to head as pro-president the Secretariat for Non-Christians, which is now the Pontifical Council for Interreligious Dialogue. Continuing on with his distinguished record, His eminence was created and proclaimed cardinal by blessed John Paul II in the consistory of the 25th of May, 1985, and his titular church is San Giovanni della Pina. He served as president of the Pontifical Council for Interreligious Dialogue from 1985 to 2002. On May 8, 1994, he presided in the capacity as the first president delegate at the solemn closing of the Special Assembly for Africa of the Synod of Bishops presiding at the altar of the Chair of St. Peter in St. Peter's Basilica. On the 24th of October 1999, he received a gold medallion from the International Council of Christians and Jews for his outstanding achievements in interfaith relations. He was also a member of the Committee of the Great Jubilee Year 2000. And on October 1st, 2002, he was nominated Prefect of the Congregation of Divine Worship and Discipline of the Sacraments. We're also very proud of the fact that in July of 2004, he received an honorary doctorate from Christendom College, which makes you one of our most distinguished alumni. (laughs) His current curial memberships include Doctrine of the Faith, Oriental Churches, Causes of the Saints, Congregations, he's part of the Evangelization of Peoples. He serves on three councils, the Council for the Laity, for Christian Unity, and the Council for Culture. He's on the International Eucharistic Congresses Committee. He's also on the Ordinary Council of the General Secretariat for the Synod of Bishops, and also the Special Council for Africa and Special Council for Lebanon and the General Secretariat of the Synod of Bishops. Over the years, his eminence has been a great friend of Christendom College, and it is a great honor and a joy to have him with us today to open our conference on an essential grounding topic. Who is man? The Anthropological Foundation for Catholic Bioethics. Let us give him a warm welcome, your eminence.
1: Your Excellency, my dear brothers in the priesthood, religious brothers and sisters, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, human life is precious. It is sacred. As we get set today to reflect on such volatile questions as the human right to life, the morality of trying to interrupt it, or to manipulate the embryo, or to clone human life, or starkly dare to decide who is to live and who is to die, as we get set to listen to very distinguished speakers on these points, it is useful that we prefix our meditations by examining some of the anthropological foundations for the Catholic stand on bioethics. Who is man or woman, human being? What can be said about the dignity of the human person? Man is gifted with intellect, and whenever I say man, I mean the human being, man or woman. Man is gifted with intellect and freedom, but does not freedom have limits? The human being grows and matures by proper relationship with the creator, with other human beings, and with creation. But the tragedy of sin is a fact that should not be left out of consideration. Natural law and the respect for it by right conscience become very important. And respect for fundamental human rights has to begin with respect for the right to life. Because if a person is killed, what's the point of talking of other rights? We shall close with a brief reflection on how important it is for the human being to be open to other human beings. So to begin, man, image of God. Genesis, the first book of the Bible, begins with a description of creation. Man is the crown of all the visible things that God created. Genesis, God created man in his own image, In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God created man with intelligence and will and placed him at the center and summit of the created order. The psalmist sings the praises of God who created man. Psalm 139. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am wondrously made. Wonderful are your works. You know me right well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately wrought in the depths of the earth, so the psalmist. And Psalm 100 Know that the Lord is God, it is he who made us, and we are his, we are his people, and the sheep of his pasture. Sheep, not in the sense of being stupid, but in the sense, the Jewish Hebrew sense, of a loving relationship. Between the sheep looked after and their shepherd. So the Lord of, we say, the Lord is my shepherd. There is nothing I shall want. A loving relationship. The human creature is a person, not just a thing. God gifted him with the capacity of self-knowledge and self-possession. And of freely giving himself and entering into communion with God and with fellow human beings. Moreover, man is, says Vatican, says the Catechism of the Catholic Church, man is called by grace to a covenant with his creator, to offer him a response of faith and love that no other creature can give him in his stead. A horse can run faster than man. A lion has more physical strength. A camel can endure more desert conditions than man. Yes, an eagle can fly, not quite as a jumbo jet, but rather high. But man surpasses them all because man has God-given intelligence and will. The human being exercises freedom He is a person. He has an immortal soul. None of that can be said about any of the beasts or birds just mentioned. So the human being has a dignity given by the creator. The various elements regarding the whole truth about man should be kept integral and intact. No reductionist conceptions should be allowed regarding the dignity of the human person. Created by God in the unity of body and soul, man is at the same time spiritual and material, soul and body. As a material being, he is linked to this world by his body. As a spiritual being, he is open to transcendence. Because of his intellect and will, he is open to the infinite God and also to fellow human beings and to the angels. Unique and unrepeatable, he is a center of consciousness and freedom. He is capable of self-understanding, self-possession, and self-determination. There is only one you. There is no other you. The psalmist sings the praises of God who has made man great. Psalm 8. You have made him little less than the angels and you have crowned him with the glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. The human being is a person. He is not an object to be used. He is a subject that acts and that relates with others. The Second Vatican Council, I had the joy to take part in the last session in 1965 because I was made bishop just two weeks before the gates were closed. (laughs) And I was signing documents on which I had not worked because most of them were prepared in the earlier sessions. This Second Vatican Council says in the famous document, The Church in the World of Today, Gaudium et Spes, that man, quote, is the only creature on earth which God willed for itself. The only creature on earth which God willed for itself. Society exists for man, not man for society. The transcendent dignity of the human person demands this. Hence, continues the same Vatican II, hence the social order and its development must invariably work to the benefit of the human person, since the order of things is to be subordinate to the order of persons, and not the other way around. Communism does it the other way around, making the human person an object to be used. It follows that, says the Compendium of the Social Doctrine of the Church, That book next to the catechism, which you have, catechism has only 700 pages. But the compendium of the social doctrine of the church has just 525 pages. (laughs) But it contains what the church has to say on the human person, the family, society, marriage, work, voting, citizenship, ruling, associations, trade unions, national and international relations because we human beings are solidly in this world, and that's our route, or you would say route, to the eternal call. So this compendium says, every political, economic, social, scientific, and cultural program must be inspired by the awareness of the primacy of each human being over society. In no case, therefore, should the human person, at any stage of his development, be manipulated for ends that are foreign to its own, his own development. He should not be made a means for carrying out economic, social, scientific, or political projects. The inalienable dignity of the human person is not a favor conferred by society or governments, but an inbuilt Greatness given by God the Creator. An extraordinary honor for the human nature is that the second person of the most blessed Trinity, for love of us and for our salvation, took on human nature. In the mystery of the incarnation of the Word of God, the dignity of man takes on special light. The Second Vatican Council teaches in the same Gaudium Express. He who is the beginning of the invisible, God, who he who is the image of the invisible God is Himself the perfect man, that is Christ. To the sons of Adam, He restores the divine likeness which had been disfigured from the first sin onward. Since human nature, as He assumed it, was not annulled by the very fact it has been raised up to a divine dignity in our respect, too. For by his incarnation, the Son of God has united himself in some fashion with every man. He has truly become one of us, like us in all things, except sin. That is also the theological foundation for the possibility of salvation for every human being. Because Christ, by becoming one of us, has somehow united himself with each of us in ways we cannot articulate. So the human person has intellect, freedom, but this freedom has limits. God has given the human person the wonderful gifts of intelligence and freedom. Man can understand, he can exercise reason. Even the obedience of faith, of which St. Paul writes to the Romans, is reasonable. It is reasonable to believe. Because man sees that it is reasonable to believe when God has revealed. When God speaks, the reasonable thing is to listen, to accept, to adore, to believe not to hire half a dozen lawyers. (laughs) So it is reasonable to believe God once we are sure that God has spoken. As blessed John Paul II teaches, in the splendor of truth, the splendor of truth shines forth in all the works of the creator, and in a special way in man, created in the image and likeness of God. Truth enlightens man's intelligence and shapes his freedom, leading him to know and love the Lord. Hence, the psalmist says, Let the light of your face shine on us, O Lord. Of course, a person can be afraid of the truth. And like Pontius Pilate, ask, What is truth? And without waiting for an answer, Pontius Pilate turned his back on the truth standing in front of him and walked away. Pontius Pilate is the patron of those who are looking for the truth on condition that they never meet. <laughs> he is afraid of the truth. Indeed, he is afraid of truth. Freedom follows on intelligence. Freedom is the power to choose the good and reject the evil. God is the author of objective moral good. The power to decide good and evil does not belong to man but to God. Veritatis Splendor, John Paul II. Man is certainly free in as much as he can understand and accept God's commands, but his freedom is not unlimited. It is called to accept the moral law given by God. In fact, human freedom finds its authentic and complete fulfillment precisely in the acceptance of that law. Man is not an absolute master, nor the creator of truth and of ethical norms. The link between freedom and truth is seen especially in the functioning of right conscience. The practical judgment of conscience imposes on a person the obligation to choose this rather than that. Conscience needs to be formed and educated to function according to God's objective moral law. Therefore, there must be relationship between the human person and God the creator, and also with other human beings. Because God created men and women with intelligence and will, they can relate with him, with one another, and with creation. How they do this is an indication of their moral growth or lack of it. It is of vital importance for the human person that these relationships be correctly directed. God made us to know him, to love him, and serve him in this world, and to be happy with him forever in the next? That's the second question in the Baltimore Catechism. And no matter how many books you read, from Thomas Aquinas to St. Bonaventure and Calrana and John Paul II and Ratzinger, you will come back to that. (laughs) So that is why God made us to know him, to love him, and serve him in this world, and to be happy with him forever in the next. Nothing less than God can give the human being permanent and lasting happiness. It can give momentary sweetness like sugar. God has made us for himself, and our hearts are never at rest until they rest in him. As St. Augustine found out after making many mistakes, in his youth. Human beings reflect God, especially by their faculties of intelligence and will. Of course, the saints reflect God better than the sinners. God has given human beings a social nature so that they can relate with one another. Human beings need other human beings so they can reach the height of their potential. You cannot become all you can become without your father and your mother and your brother and your sister and your colleagues and all the other people with whom you relate in life. That is how we grow. The constitutive social nature of human beings has its prototype in the marital relationship between Adam and Eve. This companionship, says Gaudium et Spes, produces... The primary form of interpersonal communion, marriage, and the family. It helps people, especially married couples, to accept and to live their complementarity and reciprocity in their relationships if they will do it and not when they have a little problem. The wife hires half a dozen lawyers, and the man hires one full dozen, and they go to the court and tell lies from eight o'clock till midday, and then tear it up as if you could solve a difficult algebra homework by burning the algebra book. The meaning of human activity in the world is linked to the discovery and respect of the laws of nature, that God has inscribed in in the created universe so that men and women may live in it and care for it according to God's will. God has created the good things of this world for the use of man and for the enjoyment of man. But this dominion is a stewardship. It requires the exercise of responsibility. It does not give freedom to arbitrary and selfish exploitation. We are not the last generation on earth. Other people will come after us. So ecological considerations do also assume religious dimensions. If we want to to live beautifully and smoothly according to God's plan, then men and women have to pay good attention to these three directions of relationship with God with our neighbor, and with creation. The Second Vatican Council concludes its reflection on responsibility and participation by saying significantly, we can justly consider that the future of humanity lies in the hands of those who are strong enough to provide coming generations with reasons for living and hoping. There are some people not in Front Royal When you look at their lives, it doesn't seem that they have reasons for living and hoping. There is the tragedy of sin. The above-exposed, marvelous vision of man as created by God with intelligence and will is inseparable from the tragic appearance of sin, original sin, then also of our personal sins. Sin came into this world through one man, and death through sin, writes St. Paul to the Romans. And the Catechism of the Catholic Church, by yielding to the tempter, Adam and Eve committed a personal sin. But this sin affected the human nature that they would then transmit in a fallen state. Original sin and personal sins are at the root of personal and social divisions, which in different degrees offend the value and dignity of the human person. Sin is a wound present in man's inmost self. Sin, whether original or personal, is an abuse of freedom and has very negative consequences, no matter how secret that sin may be. Because of sin, says the Second Vatican Council, man is split within himself. As a result, all of human life, whether individual or collective, shows itself to be a dramatic struggle between good and evil, between light and darkness. Indeed, man finds that by himself, he is incapable of battling the results of evil successfully so that everyone feels as though he is bound by chains. So Vatican II. The answer to this, to sin, is salvation in Jesus Christ, who restores divine grace to fallen man and enables man to put his freedom unreservedly at the doing of God's will. Human freedom is redeemed by Christ from its disordered love of self. Saints are free. They have been liberated by the saving grace of Christ. Sinners are prisoners. They are prisoners of their undomesticated instincts and their uncontrolled desires. A sinner is like a person... Who constructed a prison? Put himself inside, installed a strong iron gate with a tough key, got inside, locked it, put the key into the pocket, and then turned around and said, they have put me in prison. (laughs) Who put you in prison? Who is the architect? You. Who is the builder? You. Who installed the key? You. Where is the key? in your pocket you will come out of prison when with God's grace initiating you accept to walk with God's grace and come out of that prison and be liberated by the grace of Christ freedom does not mean I do what I like you drive a car Say, I like to drive at the right sometimes and also at the left. And I I also do zigzag and also in the middle because this is my car, you know, and I am free. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. And you tell me you are free and I tell you you are not. So we talk of natural law and conscience. The exercise of freedom implies a reference to the natural law of a universal character that precedes and unites all rights and duties. The natural law is nothing other than St. Thomas Aquinas. The natural law is nothing other than the light of intellect infused within us by God. Thanks to this, we know what must be done and what must be avoided. This light or this law has been given by God in creation, so Saint Thomas. He continues, natural law is participation of the eternal law in the rational creature. This law is called natural because the reasons that the reason that promulgates it is proper to human nature. It is universal because it extends to all peoples, considering that it is established by reason. Its principal precepts are established in the Ten Commandments. The natural law, being the creator's work and order, extends to all peoples without exception. It is the solid foundation on which man and societies can build the structure of moral rules to guide human conduct. The natural law, the Ten Commandments, are more or less known across religious frontiers. For 18 years, I worked in the church office in the Vatican for contact with Muslims, Buddhists, Hindus, Sikhs, people of traditional religions in all the continents. The natural law is more or less known. There will be mistakes here and there on some details of the first commandment or third, but generally people know. It is surprising how God works in human nature. It is the light of God enlightening our consciences. Because of the fact of sin, the precepts of the natural law may not be perceived by everyone clearly, And immediately, grace and revelation are needed so that moral and religious truths may be known, as Pope Pius XII said, may be known by everyone with facility, with firm certainty, and with no admixture of error. So we need the gospel to give us the truth with certainty, with clarity, and without any danger of mixing a bit of error with it. Conscience, therefore, Needs to be educated and formed. Gaudium expresses The more that a correct conscience holds sway, the more persons and groups turn aside from blind choice and strive to be guided by objective norms of morality. Conscience frequently errs from invincible ignorance without losing its dignity. The same cannot be said of a man who cares little for truth and goodness, or of conscience, which by degrees, grows practically sightless as a result of habitual sin. Human dignity deserves respect. Respect for human rights follows necessarily from the fact of human dignity. The ultimate source of human rights is in God the creator not in the mere will of human beings, not in social conventions, no matter how solemn, not in governments, and not in international agreements, although these are also important. Fundamental human rights are inviolable because they are inherent in the human person and in human dignity. To try to deprive people of such fundamental rights would be to try to do violence to their nature. Blessed John Paul II enumerates some of these rights. The right to life, an integral part of which is the right of the child to develop in the mother's womb from the moment of conception, the right to live in a united family and in a moral environment conducive to the growth of the child's personality, the right to develop one's intelligence and freedom in seeking and knowing the truth, the right to share in the work which makes to share in the work which makes wise use of the earth's material resources and to derive from that work the means to support oneself and one's dependents and the right freely to establish a family to have and to rear children through the responsible exercise of one's sexuality In a certain sense, the source and synthesis of these rights is religious freedom, understood as the right to live in the truth of one's faith and in conformity with one's transcendent dignity as a person. So blessed John Paul II in the Encyclical Centesimus Annus. The Second Vatican Council does not mince words in underlining the necessity to respect the human person And in denouncing egregious violations of human rights, the council says in Gaudium et Spes, whatever is opposed to life itself, such as any type of murder, genocide, abortion, euthanasia, or willful self-destruction, whatever violates the integrity of the human person, such as mutilation, torments inflicted on body or mind, attempts to coerce the will itself, Whatever insults human dignity, such as subhuman living conditions, arbitrary imprisonment, deportation, slavery, prostitution, the selling of women and children, as well as disgraceful working conditions where men are treated as mere tools for profit rather than as free and responsible persons, all these things continued the council and others of their like are infamous indeed, for the council to use such a word, Infamies indeed. They poison human society, but they do more harm to those who practice them than to those who suffer from the injury. Moreover, they are a supreme dishonor to the creator. These are no soft words from an ecumenical council, but the indictment is fully merited. To conclude, right to life, you shall not kill. The right to life deserves special mention. If a person is killed, of what use are all the other rights to that person? God expects Cain to be the brothers, his brother's keeper, brother Abel. Men and women are in relationship with others, above all, as those to whom the lives of others have been entrusted From your childhood, I will surely require a reckoning. For your lifeblood, I will surely require a reckoning. Of every man's brother, I will require the life of man. God says in Genesis, after Cain had killed his brother. You shall not kill is valid, because God alone is the Lord of life and death. The fathers of the Second Vatican Council therefore declare that, quote, abortion and infanticide are unspeakable crimes. No one can, under any circumstances, claim for himself the right directly to destroy another, an innocent human being, says the Congregation for Doctrine of the Faith. Is it not highly illogical for some people to talk of some whales? and chimpanzees and trees as endangered species which must be preserved. And if you touch a dog in some countries, you'll be brought to court for your cruelty to animals. While the killing of unborn babies is labeled pro-choice, instead of being called what it is, murder, call a spade a spade and not a well-known instrument of husbandry. Call a kitchen a kitchen and not the culinary department. <laughs> if some people say, Aha, uh, you see, the population of the world is too much, so abortion is a means of birth control, why don't you offer yourself to be shot in order to reduce, <laughs> reduce the population of the world? And when nobody else then. When, 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 when nobody else says then the population is too much, those who remain will do agriculture. And modern science has the means to cultivate even the Sahara Desert. If there is the political will. Some others say, I am personally not in favor of abortion. But I will not impose my views on others. It is like saying, "I am personally not in favor of killing you unborn children in your millions every year." But since some people want to shoot all of you in the Senate and in the House of Representatives, it is I won't impose my views on them. It's pro-choice. <laughs> it is pro-choice for them. You are not serious? This is divine law. It's not a tennis club regulation. (laughs) The climax of the injunction to respect human life is in the positive commandment, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I thank you for opening out to others. We are going to listen to internationally famed speakers very soon. This is only aperitif. <laughs> I thanked them before. I also, well, many of you have come from many parts, and some from near, like members of the Institute of Catholic Culture. But there are others who have come at great sacrifice. God bless you all. To conclude these reflections on who is man, On the Anthropological Foundation for Catholic Bioethics, it is necessary to say that when this foundation is respected, the human being is in the position to open out, open out to God and open out to neighbor. This opening out to other human beings includes appreciation of the common good and of society, respect for the universal destination of earthly goods, willingness to live solidarity and interdependence, respect for marriage and the family, the proper attitude to work, seeing authority as service, and citizenship as cooperation with other people in the running of the earthly city, seeing human life with others as a pilgrimage on earth. For all these to fall in line, it will be seen that serious religion, practice as adoration of God and love of neighbor, is necessary, not optional. The person who has no serious religion is not normal. And if the person doesn't know it, some friend should go quietly and respectfully and inform that person, you are not normal. (laughs) Let none of us refuse the call to greatness, which is inbuilt in human nature. This involves sacrifice. It ennobles. Man, who is the only creature on earth which God has willed for itself, cannot fully find himself except through a sincere gift of self. I repeat Vatican II. Through his dealings with others, through reciprocal duties, and through fraternal dialogue, the human person develops his gifts and is able to rise to his dignity. To God who gave that dignity, be honor and glory forever and ever. Thank you.